Welcome to the C3 Eastern Suburbs podcast. We're glad to have you tune in today and hope this message blesses you. If you'd like to visit, we meet in Glen Innes, Auckland on Sundays at 10am. You can also find us on www.c3easternsuburbs.org.nz. Enjoy the message. Our worst things have happened to people, but in my world, in my family, in my culture, in my faith, this is not what I had signed up for. And so I entered into what I call my neck minute year. You know, stuff was just kind of falling apart around my ears and around me. And during that time, being an artist, I continued to sing and, and write songs. Uh, but the songs I was writing weren't really suitable for stage, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, so I was able to really lean in on some of the songs of my childhood, some of the songs that I was brought up with. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to share um, a couple of songs that are really close to my heart as part of my mental wellness journey. And, um, and also a story and a little bit of information about some of the things we want to talk to you today about mental well-being. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass this over here. Very sad face at the end. She goes, Julia, I'm the middle child of nine. <laughs> I said, I'll give you 50 bucks if your mother knows your name. Because <laughs> I got two and it's borderline, you know, so... Anyway, so Grandma and I were very close, but I chose her favourite hymn to be the key and the theme of this recording. And I love the song because it doesn't say, it is well with my finances, or it is well with my relationships, or it is well with my health. It simply says, it is well with my soul. And you know, some mornings we wake up, we cannot control what is going on around us. We can't stop people from doing things. We can't control the weather. We can't control our circumstances but we can choose how we respond to them. To call that particular recording, It Is Well, was an audacious statement of faith. (laughs) But the more I sing it, the more I believe it. And the more I believe it, the more I've seen this come to pass in my life, that it can still be well with my soul. So here we go. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, what And 
Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, during during that neck minute year and and the years that have intervened, I've found the stress meter in my world kind of going up and up and up. And you know, sometimes it's big things that give us stress. Sometimes it's little things that just kind of go one on top of the other on top of the other, you know. And so if you could imagine a little stress meter in my world, I began to experience some things that I hadn't really anticipated experiencing. I began to deal with stress, to begin to deal with burnout, uh, with panic attacks, and finally with clinical depression. And while I was doing this, I was still living, you know, the, the same life and praying the same prayers and doing all the right things. But I found that my world was changing and these things were, were unexpected for me. Everyone's story is different, but that is mine. And I've, it's been a deeply humbling experience for me to have some things happen in my world that I hadn't anticipated. I like to say that my life is like a long series of getting knocked off my high horse and getting back on progressively smaller horses. And right now I'm saddling up a chihuahua. <laughs> You know, as my friends are kind of running these wonderful lives and building mega churches and doing all these fabulous things, I'm just kind of over here going, you know what, I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. And you know what? That is life. We can't control everything that goes on around us. And one of the things that I've found as I've dealt with stress and mental wellness issues is I have a habit of running away. Now, there's two types of people in every crowd. We've got the fighters and the flighters. You know, that when we're under, when we're under the thumb... Some of us will step up and go for it, and some of us will just want to run away and get out of there. If I yelled fire in this building today, which I'm not going to do, by the way, um, you know, we would have two groups of people. Some of you would be like, boom, where's the fire? I'm here to fix it. You know, and then the rest of us would be running as fast as we could out this exit door over here. We have two different stress responses, but I'm a little bit of a retreater. And so when I find that I'm feeling a little depressed or I'm feeling a little stressed, I tend to run away. Now, that might be physically or it might be emotionally. And it might be like, are you fine? Yep, yep. No, no, I'm fine. All good. All good. And I'll tend to run away. And it's a little frustrating. So do you mind if I do a new song today? Is that all good? Some of you are looking at me a bit like, oh, I don't know. Might be rubbish. (laughs) That'll be good. So I started writing this song um, to God. And ended up writing it to my husband, which worked out well because when he puts his hair down, he looks a bit like Jesus. Um, I know. Sometimes in the night I think I'm having a vision. I'm like, oh, is that you, Lord? But no, it's just him. Um, 
But I like this idea that, you know, it's easy sometimes to say, well, I'm, I don't need to talk to people because I'm just talking to God. But you know what? God gave you people. And actually, we need to be as open to the hands and feet of those around us as we are to God. Sometimes we need to be honest with those whom God has actually given us. So the song's talking about um, those feelings of finding somebody with whom you can hide and that they can hide themselves in you. Why am I trying to hide my thoughts from you who knows my mind and understands me on my darkest day? Why am I trying to run from you who points me to the sun and shows the stars to light me on my way? Why am I afraid to say the words I need to say? Why is it so difficult to give the game away? You will love, and love is all that I will ever need. I will hide in you, my love, and you will hide in me. Why do I run and hide and hold my feelings deep inside? When you have never tried to turn your face Why am I frightened of the thought that you'd withdraw your love When all around I see an ending grace Why am I afraid to say the words I need to say Why is it so difficult to give the game away you will love, love is all that I will ever need. I will hide in you, my love, and you will hide in me. Slowly falling, I hear you calling. I hear good? Everyone good? If you start falling asleep, I'll give you some tips. What you do is you just cross your arms and you can just count how many ribs you have with your fingers. Or if you want to spice things up, you could count how many the person next to you's got. <laughs> Alternatively, you can use your tongue and count how many teeth you've got. Or if you want to spice it, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you two can, that's fine. 
But just be careful because there might be another child if that just rolls along. <laughs> oh, dear me. Did I mention I'm from West Auckland? Explains everything. So I uh, do have some CDs for sale. I'm not going to do an infomercial. Oh, can I tell you a secret? I've always wanted to do an infomercial. If there's anyone here in TV, I reckon I'd give old Suzanne Paul a run for her money, but there are thousands of luminous spheres. But anyway, um, I have Julia Grace there, my first album. Beautiful Survivor is a collection of songs of real courage um, from a time when I actually had open heart surgery, which is a whole different ball game. Um, it is well with my soul, that album there. And then what I'm going to talk to you today is my latest album, Girl on the Kitchen Floor. Um, I've been involved in the... Uh, New Zealand Music Awards a number of times. I've been a judge, I've been a, a presenter, I've been a recipient. I won an award. Helen Clark presented me with my tui. She said, congratulations. <laughs> um, which was exciting and frightening at the same time. So a bit of a, bit of a personal highlight for me there. <laughs> oh, dear. So for me, mental wellness has been a really interesting journey, and so it's become something that Michael and I are passionate about, sharing about and talking about. It's nice, eh, sharing? It sounds a bit more spiritual, eh? We get to speak in all different places, but we like to put some Christian words on things. Go out there, I'm talking. Come in here, I'm sharing. <laughs> Doesn't that sound nice? You know, out there I'm singing, and here I'm ministering. Amen. Yeah. Out there I'm ranting and raving. Come in here, I'm preaching. <laughs> And here I'm prophesying. Out there I'm just guessing. <laughs> Too soon? Sorry. No, okay. Um, <laughs> but I reckon that church is a place where we should be a bit more honest. And I've, I've got some statistics for you to, to do with mental wellness, which I find alarming but really challenging at the same time. One in two New Zealanders will meet the criteria for a mental health diagnosis in their lifetime. And yet 49% of churches rarely or never mention our mental well-being at all. While, while in the meantime, 23% of pastors personally have dealt with mental wellness issues. Now, I look, I look at that and I think these don't make sense because obviously 26% of pastors are lying. Because <laughs> half of it, you know, what I'm seeing here is something very normal and very real is happening to half of us and yet we can't talk about it. We feel that we're, we're too scared, it's not safe, we can't talk about these things. And so Michael and I, we just like to rip off the band-aid. So is that good? This morning we're just going to talk about something that's really important to us. Now we use a wonderful, wonderful model, a health model, Te Whare Tapafa. Has anyone seen this model? Wonderful if you're in health or education. Mason Jury did a bunch of research and he discovered that Māori women at a certain period of time were not going to the doctor because they said, look, they're just looking at our physical health and they're not acknowledging that there's more to us than just our bodies. And so he made this wonderful health model and he said, of our whare, there are four walls. To each person, there is more than one facet. And we look at the four walls of our whare up here. Down the front here, we've got our tāwhānau, our relationships and our family wall. Who knows, you can look after your health all you like, but if you're living in the process of being broken down by negative relationships, you're going to be damaged every day. If someone's criticising you, bullying you, putting you down, your relationships have a huge bearing on your health, yeah? So we've also got tahatinana uh, over here. We've got our physical well-being. And I think it's important, you know, in church, sometimes we say, oh, we're not, we're not bodies, we're just spirit. 
just spirit man, you know, and what like we're disembodied spirits floating around. I say, stub your toe and come back to me. Um, you, are, you are a spirit, but you do have a body, and it does affect how you feel. So it's important as well. Of course, we have our mental and emotional health, tahine ngaro over there, our brain and how that functions. And tahawairua, there's more to us than what we see because that spiritual side is real and it's alive and it's really, really important. Now, I find often in church we are really good at building tahawairua our spiritual wall. So we come in and we've come in traditionally with issues and said, you know, I have this problem. And we've said, look, just pray and read your Bible. And whatever, you know, denominational flavor you're from, they'll have a different version of what you should do. You know, just pray louder, pray softer, pray more. You know, everyone's got an opinion on what they think you should do. You know, Baptists say, stop drinking. Anglicans say, start drinking. Uh, Brethren say, get off the stage, you know. Too soon for that one. But anyway, but we, we all have these ideas of what we should do. But I actually think that we've been really good at building our spiritual wall in the church, but we have neglected some of these other walls. I think sometimes we come in here and we pray for things that we could do ourselves. Oh, Lord, make me fit. Oh, if only there was a way I could get fit speak the spirit of fitness all over me. I break off the fat, I bind it and loose it and, you know, cover all my... Or I could go for a walk. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with praying. There is nothing wrong with building our spiritual wall. But I want to encourage you today that there are also really practical things we can do to help us feel better and to live fully alive. St. Irenaeus made an amazing quote. He said, the glory of God is a man and a woman fully alive. And I know glory is your focus over this month. The glory of God is to see his children living well, to live fully alive. And if that means dealing with your body, your spirit, your mind, your relationship, Let's do it. Amen? Boom. All right. Now I have this wonderful psalm, which is like a a beautiful poem that has walked with me through this. And I'm going to pull a couple of things out of there because I do actually hold very closely to this one. It's been great for me. Psalm 94, 18 says, Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. Now, first part of this talks about the silence of death. Not getting caught in that part where we are silent and we're holding everything in. Now, I was brought up very British, as I said, very hardcore. My parents, it was practical. You know, we prided ourselves on being low maintenance. My father would say, just show them your British passport. That'll fix everything. I remember saying to my mum, I was like, why can't we have a spa pool? I really want a spa pool. Everybody I know has got a spa pool. That means one person I know has a spa pool, by the way, if you have teenagers, right? My mum says, I'll give you a spa pool. She put me in the bath, in my togs, with an egg beater. (laughs) Not really the same, is it? Some of you young ones looking a bit concerned, don't worry. It wasn't an electric egg beater. She wasn't trying to kill me. But, you know, we were brought up kind of... This sort of slightly, you know, keep it all in. Have you heard of the saying, keep calm and carry on? Yeah, wonderful for the Blitz of London. When the bombs are dropping and the walls are falling. Not good for our mental well-being in 2019. So I've come up with a whole new slogan. I'm printing 
tea towels, I'm making all this. You ready? You ready for my slogan? Make a big scene and carry on. You like it? (laughs) Who wants to buy one? Get their names. Because actually we need to learn there is a time and a place to let it out. But we also need to remember we need to continue to carry on. Now, as Kiwis, we have a habit of keeping calm. I'm fine. No, no. No, no, bro. I'm fine. We need to learn to make a big scene. Now, children do not have this problem. They're really good at making a big scene. They struggle with the carrying on bit, yeah? I was playing once in an auditorium. It was about 700 people. And I got to the quiet part of my song. I think children do like training courses on when is the best time to ruin your gig. <laughs> you know, they're like, and go. And so I was playing away and it got to the tender moment. People are crying. <laughs> and this kid started running from the back. And he ran all the way down the side like that. And then he came right across the front like this and then all the way out the back yelling the whole way. It was like the Doppler effect. You know how he was like, but a lot slower than that. And you could feel just a Mexican wave of disapproval, just rolling through the audience. Just like, you know, you didn't need the gift of prophecy to know what people were thinking. All those who hadn't had children were like, oh, my child will never do that. All those children were like, oh, thank goodness that's not my child. <laughs> I had to admit at the end of the song, was my son. (laughs) He'd got out of his auntie's arms and made a run for it because they're sick to death of hearing me sing. So, you know. So we need to learn. Kids do this. They want to make a big scene and they struggle to carry on. But I think as adults, we need to find places and spaces where we can make a big scene and then people that can help us to carry on. Now, the second part of this verse says, my foot is slipping. And I love this ing. I like the I-N-G in here. My foot is slipping. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we learned to identify our weakness at the wobbly point? If we saw our stress triggers in our brain, if we were able to see those things and identify them before they completely fell apart, before we get to the falling and the collapsing and, the, and all those things. Before we get to that point, wouldn't it be great if we identified our weakness at the wobbly point? Now, our overarching kind of idea of mental wellness issues is they are three words. I like to call them, they are reasonable, they are universal, and they are manageable. And if you want to remember that, it spells rum, but that's got nothing to do with my message. Uh, But once again, popular with the Anglicans. Um, They make sense. They make sense. How can I put this? Breaking your ankle is a reasonable response of the body to falling over, right? Morning sickness is a reasonable response of the body to pregnancy. Mental wellness issues are a reasonable response of the body to stress of life. Stuff happens and our brain says, ah, I'm out. (laughs) Too much. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flick some switches going on, going on in there. People tell me the most alarming stories and they follow it up with, oh, but I'll be fine. And I'm like, no, you won't. Actually, what you're telling me makes perfect sense. Grieving, loss, disappointment, pressure, unmet expectations, these things pile up on top of us and our brains are not bulletproof. It doesn't matter what's going on. Mental wellness issues, they're a reasonable response of the, of the body to stress. Universal, I like to say we're all on a spectrum. This is not about the sick people and the well people. 
you know, the strong people and the weak people, the can't handle and the can handle. No, we are all on a wellness spectrum. And that changes over our lifetime because we, you know, our bodies change over our lifetime. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm really well. You could be weller. Because you can tell a weller woman. (laughs) By the way, she wears her hair. And of course, as you all know, it won't happen overnight. But it will happen. Now, some of the young ones are looking at me like, what just happened? (laughs) Ask your mother. The great news is that mental wellness issues are manageable. There are so many tools in the toolbox. I don't talk about fighting depression, battling depression, winning over depression. I talk about dealing with my mental wellness issues. And I deal with them on a daily basis. Some days I wake up and I'm dealing with them real well. Some days I wake up and I'm under the pump. And I'm finding that spirals of anxiety are, in, you know, are really in my head. And I have to deal with that on a daily basis. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is life. If I can just split for a moment anxiousness and anxiety. I wish we had another word. Anxiousness is normal. It will keep you alive. Anxiousness is like, oh, one of the kids ran on the road, I need to do something about it. Or did I leave my curling irons on at home? Which is actually a really good question. (laughs) I may or may not have turned them off. But um, anxiety is a spiral of thought that you can't get off. It's not just anxiousness and, you know, a little bit extra. It's completely different there, and you need more assistance for dealing with anxiety. But the great news is there's so many tools in the toolbox as we go through this. Now, wouldn't it be cool if we use those tools at the wobbly points where we're like a little bit, you know, what's your wobbly point? Do you retreat? Do you get quite tired? Do you notice that you're having trouble making decisions? Little things that you used to be able to handle really well, you're like, oh my gosh, this is all a bit much. Or do you find that you get a little bit manic, a bit overexcitable? We all have different stress points and we need to identify them in one another. Now we need to ask better questions so we can help each other. Now I was a teacher in West Auckland for a long time, so I taught a lot of children, mostly called Metallica and Chandelier and stuff like that. Um, (laughs) I wish I was joking. Um, But I've been asked a bunch of great questions. I have been asked... I was wearing a ring with a piece of glass about that big, massive ring, and one of the kids goes, oh, miss, is that a real diamond? (laughs) I said, if that was a real diamond, do you think I'd be here? (laughs) I've been asked, what colour is this blue pen? Some of you are just getting this. Um, (laughs) How long is the 40-hour famine? My personal favourite, I was wearing a T-shirt. I had a a map of New Zealand on. It was kind of tone-on-tone, grey-on-grey, fairly subtle. One of the kids goes, oh, miss... You spilt coffee on your shirt. (laughs) I said, is it in the shape of New Zealand? He's like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) So when they say there's no such thing as a dumb question, that's not actually true. But wouldn't it be cool if we took the time and the space to ask some better questions? Here's an example of a really deep, um, you know, good quality Kiwi conversation. You ready? Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. That's it. Who's had that conversation already this morning? (laughs) I'm going to make you paranoid now. But often I found myself the other day greeting someone with, hi, how are you? I just keep walking. I'm like, I don't know. I don't have time. I don't even really care. Excuse me. (laughs) Too soon. Yeah, way too soon. There's my brain. (laughs) 
because that's what's happening is I'm just kind of like, I don't have time for this. I don't have space for this. Wouldn't it be cool if we made time and space to actually stop and say, I see your wobbly points. I see what's going on around you. And even if you say I'm fine, I'm sensing maybe not. But we need to make space for that and ask some better questions. One of the things that we've had to learn to ask lately, actually we were challenged for not, for not asking for help, was around what the work that we do. Michael and I are passionate about this work and much of what we do is largely unfunded. And we have recently started up a trust. I have my wonderful, my trustee support group here who have actually helped us to put together a trust so that we can gain some sponsorship and partnership with the work that we do. We often end up being invited to places that can't afford to have us, and yet we love to come in and have a fun, engaging, and practical look at mental wellness issues. So if you're interested in supporting us or just finding out a little bit more about that, we would love to chat with you about a sponsorship program where we could actually say, hey, we could do this together and actually get into some places that we can't otherwise get into. The last one I've got here is your love, O Lord, supported me. Not your love, O Lord, wrapped me in cotton wool. Your love, O Lord, insulated me from pain or made everything all nice. Your love, O Lord, supported me. The inference is I was leaning. Something was wrong and I needed some support. Now I know often with our mental wellness issues, one of the struggles is that you can't see them, right? So other people can notice before you do. And I know for me, this message of you just need to ask for help can be really frustrating. Because if you're a bit depressed, if you're anxious, if you're dealing with that sort of stuff, sometimes the last thing you feel like doing is being like, oh, can you come and help me? I'm like, I have fully retreated at that point. So other people began to notice in me before I did. Three people noticed that I was not my normal self. And it happened like this. My daughter, first of all, around Christmas time, she said to me, mum, it's like you're not even here. Now, I was trying real hard at this point. I was a single mum dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. Christmas is not a nice time when your family is not perfect because everyone else is having a lovely time. Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day, those things are hard work because everyone else is smiling and you're like, your joy is highlighting my pain. And it can be really, really difficult. And I was working hard and I felt like a little candle burning out trying to light this big room. And she said to me, Mum, it's like you're not even here. Now, I wanted to give the mother speech. I don't know if you've ever had this speech, but it starts like this. <sighs> if you had any idea the stress I was under. Has anyone ever received that speech? <laughs> Who's given it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It achieves nothing. Yeah, if you're sitting next to your mother, be honest. I love it. See, I told him. Put his hand up. It achieves nothing, but it feels good. <laughs> you let it out. But actually in that moment, I stopped myself and I thought, you know what? That girl knows you really well. And she is recognizing that you're not your normal self, that I was feeling beige. My, my bar for normal was just lower and lower. It felt like someone had come and hollowed me out on the inside with a spoon. And I was just like the skin of Julia walking around, <laughs> still praying the same prayers still following the same life, still doing all the things that I thought were the right things to do, and yet I was dealing with an issue that was bigger than what I could deal with on my own. The second thing happened is I sat down with a friend of mine. He's a new Christian. You need a new Christian friend. They're great. 
makes me look like a theological giant, you know. And he's like, and he sat down next to me. He's British as well, so he's very cheeky. He looks at me in the eye and he goes, you don't look well. I'm like, excuse me. I'm a Kiwi. We say things like, hi, how are you? Good. Hi, how are you? Good. You know, I was quite affronted. But he looked me in the eye and he goes, you need to go to the doctor. He has dealt with his own mental wellness issues, with suicidal ideation. He's dealt with depression, anxiety. And he said to me in that moment something that was so brave. He looked me in the eye and he said, no one's going out on my watch. I've said to him later, I'm so glad that you're so rude. (laughs) Because he was brave. Because he didn't look at me like, oh, Julia, oh, she's the Christian, she's the mature one, she's the speaker, she's the ministry, you know. He looked at me human to human and said, I recognise something's wrong. And I'm not going to be put off by all of this. I'm just going to look you in the eye. And I so respect that. Now, the last straw came when I went to see my accountant. I walked in. I've seen her, you know, once a year for 15 years. And I came into her office and she says, oh, you're not your normal self. Now, how do I put this nicely? If your accountant is picking up on the subtle cues of your emotional (laughs) well-being. (laughs) Work with me here. Something's wrong, right? Like, no criticism. But yeah, I was like, okay, we need to go and go to this doctor. Now, I know there's always someone thinking in church, well, hang on, Julia, back up, back up. You can't be anxious. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. I know. It also says by Jesus' stripes we are healed. There's a number of people wearing glasses. (laughs) He's regretting amening that one, isn't he? I wish I had an answer. But we live in the tension between those two realities. Could God heal our eyes? Yes, he could. Has he? No. Why not? (laughs) Don't go there. The reality is we we, we have a God who could heal, but we're dealing with reality, yeah? I married for life. I thought I was going to be married for life. That was what I committed into. I found myself divorced and remarried. And I live in the tension between those two realities. I find that, you know, my mind can be renewed in Christ and I can, I can declare and pray and praise. But some days I wake up and I'm dealing with anxiety and depression. And I live in the tension between the two. My mum was probably the world's most well-behaved Christian woman. <laughs> if you want a list of things you should do right, she did them all. She spent the last 15 years of her life with Parkinson's disease and passed away under tragic circumstances. And I live in the tension between the two. I was speaking at a conference and a young man came up to me and he goes, you know what, if your mum had had more faith, she wouldn't have had that. He's in the hospital now. (laughs) And I should be in jail. (laughs) But haven't we heard the subtle undertones? Back in the day, people with physical problems, oh, what have you been up to? Oh, you know, the man born blind, what's your father been doing? You know, we looked sideways. We have grown out of that. Wouldn't it be great if we could grow out of that when it comes to our brain? We feel those underlying tensions of like, what have you been up to? Oh, you're a bit can't handle, a bit naughty, but whatever. I broke my foot a few years ago. No one ever did anything weird to me in church. No one ever tried to cast out the demon of the broken foot. No one ever suggested I didn't have much faith by falling over. No one asked me if my father was a Freemason. They just went with it. We just said, look, 
Get the help you need. Did we pray for my foot? Yes, we did, of course. Did it get healed? Yeah. Took 12 weeks. <laughs> and quite a bit of physio. But you know, this is the tension we live in. God is still good. God is still able, but there's so much that we can actually manage ourselves as well. So how do we help our brains? Now, I've got a whole bunch of things here just quickly. They all start with F. Um, I was going to call my message Julia Grace and the F words, but I was told that's not appropriate. (laughs) It is definitely not called that, so don't write that down. But the first one is my faith. I wear an anchor around my neck. Michael gave me this to remind me that no matter what is going on in my world, I am anchored down to a rock that is stronger than me. Doesn't matter what's happening. You know, the boat on top of the water gets flipped sometimes. It gets under pressure. Sometimes it's sailing well. But it is anchored to a stronger place. When we're dealing with our brain and our mental wellness, remember that we are attached to, we are anchored into a God who is stronger than we are. And if you want to know more about that as we go along today, I'm going to keep going. But I know that Priscilla and Glenn would love to share more of how you get that sense of anchoredness into a God who loves you no matter what your circumstances are and no matter how well your brain's dealing with it. The second one is Fano. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's a WH, but we're going fast and loose today. So now someone says to me, why don't you just say family? I love Fano because it's bigger than that. Whānau are the family and friends that we choose. Can I be honest? Sometimes your blood relatives are not the best people to talk to about your mental health. You've got to be careful. You're letting out some deep secrets. And you actually don't want to destabilise those relationships. You've got to be careful and smart and wise. If you're struggling with motherhood, you don't sit your daughter down and be like, you know what, I'm not really enjoying this motherhood thing. <laughs> Because all that kid's thinking is, what about me? How was how, how your experience going to impact on me? You sit down another mother and you go, yeah, not really enjoying this motherhood thing. And they're like, yes, yeah, same. And you make a big scene and then you carry on. <laughs> you just find someone who will help you let it out. A counsellor is a wonderful person to do this. Because you can make all the big scene you like. It doesn't affect them. They're not going to be freaking out or panicking over what you say. You can be honest in your scene making, but they are skilled in helping you to carry on. Really, really skilled. So I'd highly encourage you to get people around you that are skilled in that. The next one we've got is fullness, fun, things that make you go, things that make you go, hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah? Depression, by definition, means dip. So if you imagine a big beach ball with a dip in it, If you try and suck that dip from the outside, it's just going to appear somewhere else. It's just going to keep appearing no matter what you try and do. The only way to reinflate that ball is to put air in from the inside. We have got to do some things in our life that make us come alive. And every single one of us will have different things that make us go, hmm. You've got to take them. You've got to take them like a medication. You've got to get in there and say, that's the thing that makes you go, hmm. We're all different. You know, some of you, it might be knitting. Some of you, it might be fishing. Two men just woke up over there. I'll put that on. I'll put that word on CD for you later. Um, Finding some things that make you go, hmm, and sticking to them. You'll be a better husband if you don't do some of those things. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better friend, a better auntie, a better daughter. If you can find some things that make you come alive, those are really, really important. The next one, 
fitness. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> the last thing you feel like doing when you are retreating or stressed or you're just like, I don't even want to do that, is the first thing you need to do. Get out there. Get out into nature. Get into a green space. Move your body. You will thank me for it. Not at the time, but you'll thank me later. Because God has created our bodies not just to sit, but to move. And burning off those stress hormones, you can combine. If you can combine your fitness and your fun, you are winning. All right, finding some things that actually do that. Next one, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> I know it's a PH. I am teaching. Don't panic. No, um, that's why they fired me. No, they are. You know, I'm so grateful for medical professionals who helped me. I'm so grateful for the medical professionals who helped me with my heart and heart surgery. And I'm grateful for the medical professionals who have helped me deal with depression and anxiety. If you need help from the doctor, get it. We're not going to be weird about it. We're not going to be all silly. My friend's a, a type 1 diabetic. No one's ever come up to her in church and says, oh, been on an insulin for quite a while. You know, maybe it's time you come off. No. It's keeping her alive, and we're grateful for it. Antidepressants are not a silver bullet. They don't fix everything, but they can help you come out of a spiral of anxiety and go back to the top of the list and start dealing with the other stuff. And if you need to take them for the rest of your life, big deal. So what? Your doctors are not trying to kill you. It's not come conspiracy. I'm not sponsored by drug companies, although I'd be open to that. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Take what you need to take and we will be with you. In that, I also want to chuck in their food. There is such a big link between food and mood. I'm not going to give you a lecture, but I'm going to give you a challenge. Do some research. Sometimes we're praying for good health in the KFC line. It's like, nah. <laughs> I gave up eating sugar. It's just the best thing I've ever done. It's not easy to do, but I've actually decided that I'm trying to fix something, and then I'm kind of Wrecking it at the same time, and I've had to be honest about that. There's a huge link between your food and your mood. And finally on here, we've got forward focus. Not forward focus, although sponsorship from them would be great, great cars, um, but looking ahead. You know, there's something to be said for saying, I know what happened behind me, and I'm not pretending it didn't happen, but the rest of my life lays in front of me. How long am I going to let my past entangle my future? You know, Paul said there, forgetting what is behind and straining towards my goal. Looking ahead, not pretending what is behind didn't happen, but actually straining ahead and looking forward. Now, I know the whole thing here, we're like, oh my goodness. Okay, I came in stressed and now I'm real stressed because he just gave me like 25 things to do. Don't panic. Because all I want you to think about today is one degree of change. If I stood here and walked for 500 miles in one direction, and I would walk 500 miles, I would end up in a destination. If I move one degree to the right, and I started to walk, while at the beginning it seems like nothing, in 500 miles I would end up in a very different destination point. My challenge for you today is what is your one degree of change? Not 90 degrees, not 180 degrees. You know, not some big amount. Some of you are freaking out. I'm doing maths here. I, I love people going, oh, you know, I met Jesus and I did a 360-degree turn. You're like, you're back to where you started. Um, just me. But 
that time, those little changes. We think, oh, I'm going to do all this stuff. No, one degree of change. What is it? Is it going to be one lunchtime where you go for a walk? Is it going to be one less can of Coke? Is it going to be one small thing? Is it going to be one moment where you go, I'm going to take 10 minutes to, to check in with a friend today? Just a one degree of change. For those, you know, we're dealing with the stuff. When I dealt with my neck minute year, I was dealing with a lot of these things. And I used to find that many, many nights I would put my kids to bed and I'd come back to the kitchen, not because the kitchen was like a special place, it just, there was a lot of doors between their bedroom and the kitchen. And having held it together for the day, I would find myself just letting go. You know, sometimes, guys, we have to hold it together for those around us. We have to. And during that time, I would come back and I would just sit, fall, land, collapse, whatever, onto my concrete floor in the kitchen. And there I would just cry and scream and sob, just saying to God, what are you doing with my life? It wasn't like the movies, like nice crying. It was messy crying. You know, snot flying, mascara running, strange yodeling noises coming. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're real at the end of yourself, you don't care anymore. So they get a hospital, they put you in that gown with the back, you know, and everyone can, oh, I can see your bum. Oh, I don't care. Just fix me. When we're in pain, we don't care anymore. And I would just say, God, what are you doing? And I remember thinking, imagine if God could come down and speak to me in that moment. Imagine if God could come down today and take a Polaroid photo of us here. The fact that I'm here, I'm doing this. My life is totally different <laughs> to what I expected. And yet it is beautiful in its own unique way. I have put to bed one dream after another and learnt to live in a new path. Imagine if God could lower that down on a fishing line to the girl on the kitchen floor and I would have been like, thank you. <laughs> in that moment there would have been enough hope. But we don't get Polaroids and we don't get fishing lines. But God speaks to us in small ways. I remember being at school, I was on duty, I had my sunglasses on, had a rough morning, was, you know. This kid came up to me, my married name at the time was Mrs. Vucic. She comes up, she goes, hello, Mrs. Vintage. <laughs> Not a good start. I said, what? She goes, I like your hair, I like your nails, I like your dress. And I said, thank you. <laughs> and I burst into tears. And it was like God speaking to me in that moment. You know, everything is chaos. She's pretty cute. There is beauty in the small things around us. A wise man once said, if you're going through a fire, don't stop. It's not a good place for a picnic. Maybe a barbecue, but you know. <laughs> Whatever you're in today, keep moving. Keep moving forward. God is on your side. He's with you. No matter what your circumstances, your love, O oh Lord, supported me. So I'm going to finish with a song. If I could sing a song to that girl on the kitchen floor, <laughs> if I could talk to her now. This is what I would say. I'm so grateful that I'm not her anymore. 
but I never will forget how she cried there on the concrete every night. The song is for the girl who had given up hope, who had watched her dreams and promises go up in smoke as she faced the bitter knowledge. There was no more comfort inside. I want to tell that girl that life will be beautiful Thank you. Awesome.